Welcome to the Today in Space podcast. This episode is brought to you by AG3D Printing, where we're bringing your ideas into reality with some 3D printers and uh, design services if you need them. You know, if you have an idea, uh, you want to do a business proposal, you want to bring a product to life, uh, you have school projects, or you just want to give someone an amazing gift, we are the place to come. We can help make that possible. So come check us out at www.ag3d-printing.com and on Instagram at ag3dprinting. And if you want to help support the podcast, please go to this week's episode, every episode on todayinspace.net and use our Amazon link to do your shopping. Do your shopping as, as regular, whether it's Black Friday coming up or whether it's for Christmas, and you'll help support this podcast because Amazon gives us back a little bit for us sending you to them. So it's a nice, easy way for you to help support us, and it costs you nothing. So without further ado, let us start the show. everybody and welcome to the show and i want to say a happy thanksgiving to everybody including everybody that's not in the u.s you know it is not uh, about uh the pilgrims and the native americans getting together uh i like to think of it as a time to give thanks for what we have so um in that tradition i want to give thanks to uh my family. I'm going to give thanks to the people in my life that uh, look out for me, support me, um, stray me away from the crazy thoughts I have. <laughs> no, I just, you know, um, the people that just that care about me and look out for me. Um, and I get to have conversations with that, uh, you know, I get to uh, just share thoughts with. I, I those Those people are really important in my life. And also, I'm thankful for everybody that listens to this podcast. I mean, I still can't believe that hundreds of people listen uh, to this show and, and my crazy rants. Uh, I appreciate all of you guys. And, um, you know, I I want to thank all of you for listening. And I, I wanted to um, be the first to tell you that uh, I am taking the plunge forward and... and and fully committing to not only the podcast, but more importantly to solving problems. You know, the thing that uh, up until recently I finally figured out that's really what I love doing is is solving problems. So uh, officially, I want to say that uh, AG3D printing is now my full-time job. Um, I'm going to be solving people's problems full-time. And uh, gave my two weeks, uh, about two weeks ago, um, and um, moving, moving on to working for myself. And it's a, uh, it's a really crazy thing, you know, 
uh, a lot goes into that kind of thing. You can't just jump into working for yourself. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to pay bills. So you got to make sure you've got all all your ducks in a row. You got to make sure you can sustain yourself and you got to be able to make money. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what a business is. It has to make money. So um, it's going to be a hustle and I can't wait to share all of that with you guys. And um, there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out and I can't wait to share that with all of you. And I'm thankful for to be an American. I'm thankful to have gotten the education I've gotten. And I'm thankful that my parents, you know, allowed me to, um, to experiment and gave me the opportunities that they gave me. Um, cause I wouldn't be here if I didn't have those opportunities. It would starting my own company wouldn't have been something that would have been a possibility. So, um, you know, I'm thankful for my grandparents who immigrated here to America and, uh, as a second generation American, I, I couldn't be prouder to go after the American dream, you know, and it's going to be fucking amazing guys. I, I, I can't, I can't wait to start all this stuff. You know, there's going to be uh, more content on my end, uh, both on the 3d printing side and on the space side. Um, I'm going to have more time to dive into these topics more and really give you guys a, a solid uh, scientific base so that you can go out into the world and, and have something to uh, not only talk to people about science, but uh, share with people. Um, you know, I want to give you all the tools to, to go uh, spread love and spread science, uh, mostly on the science side. Um, but there will be love, as always. Um, there's a lot of ums this episode. Sorry, there's a lot of thinking going on. It's going to be a lot of fun, guys. I cannot wait to start. Um, so let's start this week's episode. And uh, before we do, I just want to say uh, when you spend time with your families this week, uh, you know, just make sure to go at it with love. Um, I'm sure some of you, are, if you live away from home, uh, might be regretting going home, uh, given... Uh, uh, what's happened the last few weeks with politics, but they're, they're still your family, you know, regardless of what they might think. Um, I mean, if they're assholes, they're assholes. I mean, that's, what are you going to do? Um, but they're still your family. So, uh, if there's love there, go take it, um, and spread it. Um, and don't forget to just be mindful of, uh, where everyone is and look out for yourself folks. Okay. Um, we're going to be back next week and we'll follow up on what my first week of, uh, <laughs> being, being a full time, uh, uh, self-employed, uh, person is going to be like, uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty of segments following up on that. And, uh, that's it. Let's start this week's episode. Okay, folks. So have a great Thanksgiving and enjoy this week's episode, whether you're, uh, listening to it on your way up or back, uh, for this holiday or you're going into work. Um, but I just want to let you know, I love all of you and I wish you all the best for this 
this holiday and uh don't get injured during black friday there's some assholes out there okay so that's it let's start the show in orbital news this week we have two major launches that i wanted to cover uh the first is the launch of expedition 50 uh this is a there's a three crew member launch uh each member representing the United States, Russia, and France. And they launched the International Space Station from the Balkaner Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan at 3.20 p.m. on Thursday, November 17th, or 2.20 a.m. November 18th, Balkaner time. Uh, it was a Soyuz spacecraft, as always, uh, carrying Peggy Whitson of NASA, Oleg Novitsky of Roscosmos, and Thomas Pesquet, uh, or Pesquet, I'm not sure. I'm, it's he's French, so I could be. It could be Pesquet, of the European Space Agency, and they docked this Saturday, November nineteenth, uh, in the afternoon, uh, to late day. Five oh one was the estimated time of arrival. So uh, they docked there, and uh, this Expedition Fifty crew, uh, along with the other members are going to be spending four months together conducting more than 250 science investigations in the fields of biology, earth science, human research, physical sciences, and technical development. Uh, Some of the upcoming research include how lighting impacts the overall health and well-being of crew members and how microgravity affects tissue regeneration in humans. Also, there's going to be some genetic properties of space-grown plants that are going to be tested. So those are some pretty fascinating experiments that are going to be happening. I mean, the lighting impacts one, I think, is one of those experiments that you you take for granted. You wouldn't think that light uh, affects your overall health. But, I mean, if you're a long-time listener, if, if you remember when I first started doing the second shift uh, at the job, uh, at my job, uh, I noticed an immediate difference in like how it affected me in general. Um, just like being, being when you're supposed to be awake, when you're supposed to be active, you just expect sunlight to be there. And I mean, if you're a college student, you've ever pulled all nighters and you've stayed up so long that you actually see the sun rise, you know, immediately that effect that it has on you. Um, I mean, it is anecdotal, but it, it gives you kind of an idea of, what, you know, long-term light exposure, whether it's, you know, uh, just just living on a spacecraft. Think about it, right? If you're living on a spacecraft and you don't have a, um, a rhythm, what, what, is it, what is it called? Circa- cir- I'm asking an audience member here. What, what is it called again? Circadian rhythm. Circadian rhythm. Um, and, you know... You need to be able, we're all human beings, you know, we all want to be, you know, this great, you know, ultimate being because we live in the 21st century and and we've we've never had it better, but we're still human beings. Those are our limitations. So we need to simulate that environment in space. So, so I think having an experiment that tests, okay, what does different lighting do to our overall health? We're going to be able to understand you know, uh, what, do we, what do we need to do for human beings in long-term in space? Uh, and this could even extend to things on Earth, you know. Maybe if it tells us some pretty interesting things, you know, some further research could be done to say, you know, you really do, you know, just like they say you need a certain amount of glasses of water every day. You know, maybe, maybe you do need a certain amount of light every day. You know, if they can really uh, narrow down 
what's a good amount of healthy light <laughs> they should be getting. Uh, I think that's a great experiment. Um, the microba- microgravity effects on tissue re- regeneration is definitely one that I think is interesting. It'll be interesting whether the lack of gravity is a positive or a negative for regeneration of the tissue. Um, I could see it being a positive because I bet you you might be able... Now, this is all just off the top of my head. But I would assume you know, tissue regeneration would have to work against the force of gravity. So maybe it does work a little bit faster. I wouldn't know how much faster. But there would probably be issues with the building of the tissue regeneration because it's not building in gravity. So, uh, and with blood flow uh, being different, that also might have a big impact. So uh, those are my questions, hypotheses for them. Um, And the genetic properties of space-grown plants is huge. I mean, you know, growing plants in space and eating... Uh, bugs are two major ways that we're going to get, uh, you know, reusable food in space. So looking at the genetic properties of space-grown plants is important because, you know, we need to know what we're eating and what it could do potentially. Or, you know, maybe it's not even a health factor. Maybe it's a how long will this food last? Maybe it lasts longer. Maybe it lasts uh, shorter. Um, maybe it's more robust, maybe it's less robust, you know, who, who knows what it might be, but getting a good, clear view of what the genetic properties of these space plants is, is important. Um, so more his- history for Expedition 50, uh, Peggy Whitson, who's, who's pretty fucking awesome. I was, I was watching some videos of her. Um, she's been around, she's been in the space program since Expedition 5, and she was a part of the STS missions, the um, the missions with the um, sorry, I had a brain fart here. Um, with the oh my god, why am I blanking? The space shuttle. Thank you. Um, <laughs> with the space, she was in the early STS missions with the space shuttle, where they were building the International Space Station. And she was involved with uh, with those operations. And uh, one of the videos I watched was she was explaining about the... The video was talking about the difficulties of space walks. And one of the missions she was talking about was there was this big aluminum... Uh, no, a big tube of ammonia that was filled at high pressure um, that they needed to connect on the outside of the space station during one of the spacewalks. And the problem that they were running into, that she was running into, was that, you know, if it was just a tube of ammonia gas, you know, it wouldn't really be a big problem. Um, Even liquid ammonia, I don't think would be a big problem because, you know, it would be like a garden hose, you know, it would be flexible and you could move it around. But it was stored at high pressure, probably so that they could store a lot of ammonium. So it's a really stiff object. So they needed to connect this this pipe of ammonia, this hose of ammonia on the outside, and it needed to fit at just the right angle. So it wasn't one of those things where you could just kind of force it in because the connectors are, are really tricky. And, you know, 
if we ruin one of the connectors, then the ammonia gas leaks out and you just ruin the whole thing. So she had to try and figure out, you know, how are they going to manipulate this really stiff tube to, to connect on the outside? And she actually had to have uh, the other astronaut that was with her on the spacewalk, uh, you know, uh, basically help her have a second pair of hands so that they could bend the tube just a little bit to get it to connect the right way. Um, and that was really cool. And, you know, she's a, she's a homegrown girl from Iowa, um, grew up on a farm and, you know, she, when she saw Neil Armstrong, uh, Buzz Aldrin, when they, when she saw the land on the moon, that's when she first kind of had the first inklings of, uh, being an astronaut, but it wasn't until she saw the first woman, astronaut selected by nasa that she actually thought it was a possibility so uh that's when the dream started for her the first female astronaut being sally Ride, of course um so peggy whitson's a really really cool person i really enjoyed listening to her talk um but uh back to my original point before i went on a tangent about peggy whitson um there's other some other historic uh events that go along with this Expedition 50. Um, sorry, let me find my place here in the article again. Uh, so in February, uh, Whitson's going to become the first woman to command the space station twice. Uh, her first tenure as commander was in 2007, and she became the first woman to hold this post. Uh, Whitson also has an advanced degree in biochemistry, and prior to her selection as an astronaut candidate in 1996, she served in prominent medical science research and supervisory positions at NASA. So she's, she's got some experience, some long tenure here at NASA, and it's, uh, it's really good to see uh, tenured members of NASA. Tenure's a bad word. I shouldn't use that. Uh, just veteran members, you know, people who have been in it, who have been doing this, and, and they keep going to space. You know, I think that's awesome. And, and she's been involved in NASA for a very long time. Uh, so to see her, you know, go on to the, on board the International Space Station and do something historic like that, like the second time she's going to be able to command the space station, that, that's an amazing, amazing accomplishment. Um, the crew members are also uh, scheduled to receive three cargo craft deliveries. Uh, so that's going to be several tons of food, fuel, supplies, and research to the station. Um, they're also going to be getting new lithium-ion batteries to replace the nickel-hydrogen batteries that they have been using on the station to store electrical energy um, that comes from the solar arrays from the station. And uh, those are going to be installed during a series of spacewalks that are going to be scheduled for January. So uh, both all three, Whitson, Novitsky, and Pesquet, are Pesquet, I, I really have to look up these pronunciations before I do these shows. I apologize. Um, they're going to be on the station until next spring. And Kimbrough, Rezikoff, and Borisenko are going to remain on board until late February. And that should uh, do it for Expedition 50. And I, I congratulate, you know, congratulations to getting this space station safely and docking uh, successfully. And cannot wait to see where Expedition 50 goes on from here. In more orbital news, we have the launch of the GOSAR satellite, which is G-O-E-S, 
R. And that stands for the Geostationary Operational Environmental Satellite. This is the R series of this satellite because there's actually been quite a few. Um, you know, quick search online shows the history of the uh, GOES satellites. And th- these are, you know, meteorological uh Meteorologists should be rejoicing for these satellites. These satellites help provide so much uh, weather information that um, this one in particular is not only going to provide weather on the planet, but it's actually going to be providing space weather as well, uh, especially uh, from the sun. It's going to be able to detect uh, solar radiation and you know any extreme solar radiation um, situations that may arise. Um, and it's it's got uh, a whole bunch of things. So to go back to the history, uh, before we dive more into the R series, um, the first three GOES satellites, uh, they were developed for NASA's synchronous meteorological satellites. Uh, the, those ones preceded the GOES series. Um, you know, and just from a picture of the is the the SMS series that was before the ghost series um just really um simple looking satellites i mean you know obviously solar arrays for power um, but the solar arrays were really more part of the entire structure it seems like of the satellite as opposed to the being an addition you know a a a, um yeah an addition to the satellite um you know, and and partly that's because you know at the time it probably made more sense just to have a satellite that could capture sunlight at every angle um, as it was you know in geostationary orbit. So the sun obviously hitting it at different angles. Um, but the newest series, the R series, actually has a uh, I guess you could call it a ballast of solar rays, and um, that's where it gets most of its power. Um, but the GOSAR has a a lot of different um, tools on board to help it uh, get its mission going. You know, obviously, the various uh, imaging equipment, uh, one of them is obviously to take images of the Earth to help uh, check out hurricane, tornado, um, you know, visual representations so that there's more uh, there's quicker responses and better data so we can get our weather predictions much better. Um, the other imaging uh, piece that's on there is going to help us image lightning strikes, uh, which will be helpful for um, extreme storms and tracking you know, the severity of those storms. So that's really, really interesting. I, I wonder what a lightning imager uh, would have on it. You know, um, Is it fast exposure, slow exposure. I don't know. It, it would be interesting to know more about that. Um, there's also a magnetometer on board. Uh, that's going to help provide um, space environment magnetic field measurements and provide early warnings of sudden magnetic storms. So uh, that one's going to be very useful for space weather. We're also uh, going back to the space weather ones. There is the SUV. Uh, which is the solar ultraviolet imager that's going to observe and characterize complex active regions of the sun, solar flares, and eruptions. 
And then there's the EXIS, which is the Extreme Ultraviolet and X-ray Irradiance Sensor. That's going to detect solar flares that could interrupt communications of satellites, airplanes, and affect power grids. So that one's the, you know, early alert system. Hey, we've got a... (laughs) We've got a motherfucker coming, you know, prepare because this may shut down everything. Um, I, I wonder if there's some kind of procedure that you could put in place that if you could actually prepare for it, could you minimize the damage? I wonder if um, a system that's off would do better than a system that's on, or maybe it's the other way around. Um, obviously, the big problem is it's a giant surge of uh, radiation, and I would assume uh, like you know, an electrical response. So, you know, if it's going to overload the system, I wonder if there's a way for you to, um, without building some kind of lead protector, you know what I mean? Um, could you prevent yourself from, from getting hit by that? But I mean, it's the same, I think it's the same thing that would happen. Like if, if an EMP went off, um, electromagnetic pulse, you know, if one of those went off, I think it would be the same situation as if, as if a, a major solar flare went by. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. That's uh, something I remember from a uh, slightly intoxicated conversation I had in college with other engineers about what would happen if an EMP actually came by. Um, More on ghosts. uh, (laughs) The Ghost R series uh, is SICE, uh, which is the Space Environment In-Situ Sensor Suite, which, uh, once again, more space weather, and it's going to monitor the charged particle environment in the magnetosphere and help us track radiation around the Earth. Um, So that'll be very interesting to get some more numbers. Uh, I wonder what they're getting now. Um, But, you know, understanding what's going on with the charged particles around our planet in the magnetosphere, that's going to help us understand the effect of solar radiation on our planet magnetic sphere and that affects our atmosphere and it event it does affect you know how much radiation the earth does get because if the atmosphere is is being um bent and diluted from or diminished i guess is a, is a better way to say it from you know a higher radiation level from uh more charged particles from the sun, then uh, that's obviously something we need to look into. And that'll probably come into um, some kind of UV rating. You know, um, I'm sure that would be affected by it as well. Let's move on, move further into what other tools GOSAR has on board. So uh, this is great uh, Lockheed Martin automated tour of Goser. That's where I'm getting most of this from. Um, and there's also, if, if you have kids or if, if you're a teacher and you want to show, uh, your kids, um, young kids, you know, like elementary school, um, there's a, there's a pretty good one from, um, the national ocean, uh, the NOAA. Um, and it's good, you know, it's, it does the whole thing that, you know, the Rosetta spacecraft did where it kind of, uh, personificates or personifies, I think I just made up a word there, uh, personifies the sp- the satellite so that I guess kids could relate to it better. Um, it's cute. Um, so if you have young kids, it's, it's worth it uh, if you want to get them involved in space. Um, the ABI, or 
yes, the API is the advanced baseline imager. I mean, that is the the Earth Watcher, um, and it images Earth's weather, oceans, and environment with improved speed, accuracy, and spectral data, which for meteorologists is key. Um, that one's the big ticket item on board, I would assume. Um, the geostationary lightning mapper is that lightning uh, imager that I was talking about before, and uh, it images and maps all lightning, providing early warning of tornadoes and severe storms. So that's that's a very valuable tool. Um, you know, the faster we can alert people on the ground, you know, the more people we can save and and just prevent from harm. Um, and that's what these meteorolo- meteorological man, that's a hard word to say fast meteorological uh, sciences uh, and people in the field are looking for. Um, and it just makes that whole field better. Um, and those are the instruments on board for Goser. Um, very cool satellite. Um, again, like I was saying before, not the first at all. Um, there was three to start, and then two more followed. Uh, it started in 1974. Um, the first GOES satellite, GOES-1, was launched in 1975. Uh, two more followed uh, that were uh, almost two minutes short of a year apart. And that was June, the 16th of June, 1977 and 1978. Um, then three more GOES satellites, uh, spacecraft, and five satellites uh, followed, um, including a few more. I'm just reading the Wikipedia page going through here. Um, so there was a lot. I mean, there was a series of years here where um, a lot of them went by um, between, you know, they, they this whole series went up to 10, 11, 12. Uh, some of them actually lasted uh, long in their lifespan. They were actually originally designed to have more fuel on board so that if, if they did last longer than their 10 years, um, they actually could, which, uh, some spacecraft really have been able to do, you know, those are the, the, the wonderful spacecraft that we have up there, the ones that last longer. Um, uh, a recent one that's, uh, definitely a, a marathoner as far as spacecraft life goes is New Horizons, the one that went to Pluto and is now going into the, the, the Kuiper belt. And that one's going to be, uh, that one's amazing, mainly mainly because it, it, the fuel it has, plutonium. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be a lot. The fuel is gonna last a lot longer, um, and the spacecraft being in such great shape going through the Pluto system um, just makes the the lifetime of that craft go to ex- its extreme limit. Pretty much, you go for as long as the plutonium radiation can give you power. So, as far as a successful mission goes, you can't get any better than that. Um, you know, your successful mission is it goes for as long as it can have fuel and power. <laughs> that's a that's a beautiful thing. Um, now, as far as the Ghost R series, uh, it's going to be a in total once uh, series R, S, T, and U all get launched, um, that four satellite system uh, program, if you will. Um, is going to extend the availability and operation of, of the ghost satellite systems uh, through to 2036. So any new developments in meteorology, uh, weather readings, um, 
the, the this series, the, this is what this next generation system is going to be. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how it incorporates into you know our cell phones. I mean, uh, how many of us have you know weather readings at our fingertips now? Um, you know, live readings um, and satellites like this are going to help even more. Um, so. Uh, it, definitely one to to be aware of because it does it does influence our lives on a daily basis uh and it's it's pretty wild i mean i, I i'm pretty sure some of this data is available um if you look for it you know so if you're a meteorologist if you're someone who just is really interested in weather or uh even space weather which is one we definitely got to get into in depth at some point um on the show we will uh this satellite this is this is one of the 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 Cadillacs as far as it, as satellites go so uh very glad that the mission went well you know having one of these go up and uh having no issues getting into orbit that's a beautiful thing so congratulations to the Gozar team and here's to a long mission in this week's 3D printing update. We are diving even further into our settings and our computer programs and our printers to make our prints even better. So one of the things, because there's many different functions, and you don't want to do you don't want to work on too many too quickly because then you don't know what you're fixing. What I wanted to work on this week was something that if you start 3D printing, you'll start noticing when you start using different filaments and when you start going from one printer to another printer. You know, uh, filaments, pla- plastic filament, just plastic injection in, in general is a very complicated process that we've figured out how to do it well um, with really simple, simple tools. Um, you know, uh, the, the shape of the nozzle is, is a huge, huge, um, factor in, in getting plastic to come out of a nozzle the right way. Um, obviously temperature is a huge thing, but one of the things that's very subtle, uh, in 3d printing that, um, I'm, I'm really starting to get into now is a, is a function called retraction. Um, so there's a few ways I've done a little bit of research and I'm going to try and explain it as best I can, but basically, you know, you're, as you know, you're taking a a filament of plastic and you're melting it through a nozzle and sometimes the nozzle drools plastic and this is because of a bunch of different factors, but two of the major factors, number one is temperature, obviously, um, temperature, uh, is what's going to help your plastic melt in the first place and be injectable. Um, and two, there's while you're printing, um, when when the nozzle is pulling is pushing filament out, um, the filament is is being pushed out the nozzle. And when it moves to start a new layer or start a new area, it's supposed to stop pushing filament but that doesn't mean that filament won't stop uh, won't just stop going so the, the retraction setting is from what i understand how far the filament gets retracted when it's not pushing filament out when it's not extruding filament so you want to increase that value if you start getting oozing 
And there's other things like uh, little strings that occur. Um, and this, this changes from not only the different, like from PLA to ABS to um, nylon to, you know, all these different other filaments, but it also depends on manufacturer because each manufacturer is going to have their own um, ingredient for as far as what, like each PLA from manufacturer to manufacturer is going to be different. So you not only is that going to be a challenge, you know, you're going to have to, for your printer, have a bunch of profiles for each kind of filament you have. And if you're really good, you want to have it for each manufacturer that you use. Um, so that way you have to do as little extra work after you print as possible, because that that's really the ultimate goal of 3D printing is to basically create an object and it's done. You know, that's the, that's the end goal of 3D printing is as soon as you print it, you pull it off, it's ready to go. You know, uh, if you can get to that point, you're a fucking wizard. Um, but it's not just, um, material profiles. It also, each printer has its own, uh, way of doing things. So your setting for one printer might not be the same for the other. Uh, and there's so many different things that go involved in that. I mean, from the different parts that are used, you know, different gears that are pulling the filament, the different, uh, heat dispersions, you know, if, if one nozzle is complete, me- completely metal and the other one is metal, but it also has some plastic components, um, that's going to make a big difference on the heat profile of that nozzle. And that may affect the, the drooling, the nozzle, uh, drip, uh, all those things, e- even performance. So, you know, each printer needs to be fine tuned. And this is really, this is the, um, the fine tuning of the printers is where the, you start getting into the professional sense, you know, um, to be able to print an object is a huge, huge milestone. The next big milestone is to print well. Um, and so that's the milestone we're trying to go here for next. Um, and so to go through the process with you, basically, um, I picked a part that's uh, traditionally used to test the limits of a 3D printer. It's called the 3D Benchy. And basically, it looks like the tugboat from the original Mickey Mouse cartoon, um, the one in black and white. Um and even though it does just look like a tugboat, um, each feature is actually testing uh, what the 3D printer can do. So really, yes, you're looking at a boat, but you're also looking at a tool for yourself. You know, this this thing that you're printing out is showing you how well is your 3D printer actually making that 3D object. Um, so it really gives you a gauge of what your 3D printer is putting out under those settings. So what I did was... Um, put that model in and I just tested the retraction settings. That's, that's all I was going for. Um, you know, the first print was a bunch of strings and a bunch of just little weird hangoffs, um, from, like I was saying, uh, when the printer was moving without pushing filament out, it was still oozing out a little bit. So I upped it a full millimeter, um, in retraction from two to three and it got better. There was still some uh, little crap, but it really did make a big difference just going up one. Um, And then I did a a third print and moved it even further up uh, to four um, and had no uh, extra material. Like I didn't really have the oozing. I did have some stringing, 
but I mean, I could literally wipe my finger across the strings and get rid of them. So uh, basically where I want to be, but I ran out of time for the day as far as uh, 3D printing. So um, we'll be continuing that test and really fine-tuning that PLA material uh, from Hatchbox. Uh, and we'll, uh, I'm going to share the results with you guys soon, as soon as I get a blog post up. Um, but uh, calibration is definitely one of those things that uh, makes the big difference. Um, you know, just in your own printing, you can go from uh, amateur to pro by just fine-tuning those settings. Um, and that's going to bring more quality to your parts and, and, at the end, more quality to the customer. So uh, we're really fine-tuning and improving our, our, uh, our subtleties here. So uh, that about does it for a 3D printing update. Thank you for listening. And that does it for this week's episode, everybody. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for staying with me uh, throughout these almost two years of uh, the show. Uh, it's crazy. Um, I appreciate everyone that listens and subscribes. Uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Uh, and if you have any friends uh, that you want to tell about the show who love science uh, and love crazy shit, uh, come have them uh, check us out. Okay, uh, thank you all. I really appreciate it. Uh, don't forget to check out AG3D Printing and have a great Thanksgiving uh, weekend and holiday. Okay, folks, uh, we'll talk to you next week. And uh, don't forget to spread love and spread science and enjoy yourselves. See you later. <laughs>